Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching. Where real life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Welcome back. And this week, I have a wonderful title. Why are so many people so annoying and obnoxious? Certainly not, I'm not talking about you or I, I'm talking about those annoying people. Why are they so annoying? Let's let's dig into that. What makes someone annoying? What makes them obnoxious? You know, oftentimes, I guess we could start out by saying it's a matter of self-promotion, right? We we sometimes wind up trying to sell ourselves. And you know that one of the more ubiquitous terms that I always come back to is insecurity. So no matter what one's accomplishments, if there's insecurity at the base, then of course there's more and more of a need to sell ourselves. Hey, look at me. Look what I've done. Look at the car I'm driving. Oh my God, I'm so great. <laughs> it's a matter of blowing your horn too loudly. And we compare that to the opposite, which would be the person that's kind of humble, the person with modesty. And, you know, the Latin root for modesty has to do with accurately measuring. That's not blowing your horn too loudly or too softly. It's, it's accurately talking about yourself in a non-inflated way. So who in the world likes a person that comes across, you know, as being full with themselves? I am so great. I'm thinking of the play, a uh, funny thing happened on the way to the forum and Milis Gloriosis, one of the lines in the songs that he sings is, I am a parade. So when you feel like you're a parade in and of yourself, well, that can be really obnoxious. And someone's standing there listening to you, mouth open, saying, wow, okay, uh, so you are a parade. Stand aside. And basically, I guess annoying and obnoxious behavior is is really what I might call a failure of emotional relativity. You know, it's a failure to step outside of yourself and be able to see yourself and your behavior and what you're saying in a more objective way. When I was a kid, uh, this is back in the 50s, I'll admit it's a long time ago. I was young and we had a reel-to-reel a -reel tape recorder. And everyone gathered around the tape recorder in the kitchen and we put it on record and we're all talking. And and I I said, well, how come I'm not on that tape? And everyone said, you're, you're on the tape. I couldn't believe it because I had never heard my own voice. So when we listen to our own voice in our own head, of course, we have the resonance of our bones and the echoing and all that stuff that takes place in our head. So we don't, we don't hear ourselves objectively. And that kind of goes for how you, how you don't see yourself in various relationships. 
Now, I'm not saying you need to tape record yourself or video record yourself, but imagine if you did have a video recording of yourself and you were objectively able to watch as you stood there going on and on about your accomplishments and how great you are and and and, and just watching the person standing there with this vacuous expression on their face, you, you might be able to look at that video and have some objectivity. Hmm, maybe that was a bit strong. So you see, for a lot of annoying, obnoxious people, they don't have that inner sense of feedback. They don't have that inner sense of emotional relativity. And not only do they not have a sense of emotional relativity, he or she becomes deluded and believes that others just can't wait to hear what you're going to tell them, that they're, they're just standing there in bated breath, and you've come along, and boy, you're going to make their day now, because they're going to hear just all the stuff that you're doing and how proud you are of your accomplishments, and you want to share that. You want them to experience the joy and the high that you're feeling with yourself. <laughs> and you know what? When they don't share that, well, then you have just become annoying or obnoxious. And they're kind of first cousins, whether you are annoying and obnoxious or obnoxious and annoying. <laughs> As the saying goes in the play Man of La Mancha, whether, whether the pitcher hits the rock or the rock hits the pitcher, either way, it's going to be bad for the pitcher. So whether you are annoying or obnoxious matters little because it has the same effect on people. They become annoyed with your annoyance. So, and these are self-promoters, obviously. The, the annoying and obnoxious people of the world, they are egocentric. That means they are the center of their universe and feel that they are the center of everyone else's universe. They're unable to imagine. The kids can't imagine someone being annoyed with their bragging. They can't imagine it. They really believe that everyone really wants to hear. So that you don't have the relativity. You can't, you can't put yourself in someone else's shoes. You can't see a video of yourself. You're unconscious. And your insecurity is driving this more and more because you're selling, selling, selling. I want to be liked. Not only do I want to be liked, I want to be revered. I want to be loved. And you become inadvertently the most annoying person at the party. So let's let's sum up, you know, what are some of the qualities of annoying, obnoxious people? Well, as I, as I said, they, they like to monopolize a situation. They kind of suck the air out of the room and they just want all the airtime. They just want to be on stage and they will prattle on and on and on because they enjoy the center stage, the spotlight. They're highly opinionated. Does that surprise you? It's like a black and white world. They they just know it. And God forbid you, you get into politics or religion or some hot topic with them because you're not going to walk away satisfied from that conversation. And they consider themselves to be above the rules. I, we have a, a, I live on a dead-end street. And at the intersection at the end of the street, there's a yield sign. So when I'm pulling out, the car coming toward me at that point would see the yield sign and allow me to proceed. Well, a lot of people don't. They just come barreling down the street. 
So, you know, I'm going to guess that these, many of these people that barrel through that yield sign, I'm going to guess some of them are rather annoying, arrogant, obnoxious people. Hey, I don't have to yield. It's my car and I'll do what I want. They don't have to pay attention to those rules. Rather obnoxious, don't you think? And speaking of obnoxiousness, they often come out with these kind of really insensitive comments, and they're totally oblivious to it. Oh, you just bought that type of car? Why would you do that? It's a piece of junk. Now, to everyone listening to this conversation, they're aghast, appalled. Oh my God, she just bought that car, and this and this bozo is telling her that it's a piece of junk. How could anyone possibly? Well, that what that's what annoying, obnoxious people do. They are oblivious. They are egocentric. They think the only opinion that matters is their own, and they feel that everyone wants to know their opinion that such and such a car is a piece of junk. And they just don't know how their words or their actions affect anyone else. They don't have that emotional relativity. So let me give two suggestions for dealing with an obnoxious, annoying person. All right. The first one. Now, this is, it sounds a little weird, I know, but think about it for a second. And that is that everyone is entitled to their neurosis. Now, this has served me, I can't tell you how many times. And I do mean that. I think it's arrogant of me to say about someone else that they should be different. They ought to be more conscious. They ought to be more sensitive. Who am I to say that someone else needs to be a better person, a different person? It's arrogant. So I always start out in my mind, when I'm up against someone that really begins to get my hackles up, I remind myself, they're allowed to be who they are. I don't have to like it. I don't have to come back to that person again and again, unless it's a work situation. But even there, when you allow someone to be who they are, they are then you're not bucking them. You're not kind of in friction with them. You're just yielding to the fact that this person is who they are. Now, how they got to be this annoying, obnoxious person, well, th there were probably many factors that led up to it. And as I mentioned right from the beginning, one of those is insecurity. So I start out by saying in my mind, you know, he or she, they're, they're entitled to their neurosis. And I also know that I don't have to change anybody because you probably already know this, but if you go toe to toe with an annoying, obnoxious, egocentric, monopolizing person and try to change them, well, you are not going to succeed. Won't happen. Because being an obnoxious, annoying person, you always have to have the last word. You're highly opinionated. And you'll never walk away from that conversation satisfied if you feel you have to win over an obnoxious person. So aside from feeling that everyone is entitled to their neurotic ways, the second thing I would suggest is don't get defensive. It's very easy to get defensive if someone, especially in an opinionated argument, and they're coming across like your opinion doesn't matter, like what you're saying is irrelevant, and they are more or less dictating. If you get defensive, then, of course, you're going to engage the full wrath and fury of the arrogance, of the obnoxiousness. 
And the way to help yourself not get defensive is to realize it's not personal. It's not a personal assault. This is this person's reflexive habit. They have become this person who goes around the earth annoying. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a fate worse than death to become that person that everyone closes their door and they see you coming or or hangs or doesn't answer the phone when you're <laughs> so you don't want to become an annoying person. So don't get defensive. You know, I mentioned road rage before. And I, I always kind of think that when we're driving our car, you know, that's that now becomes a territorial thing. Whichever point you're at on that road, it's it's your space. It's your territory. And should someone infringe on your space, then, of course, well, that's where we get into these road rage situations. I was I was going to pick up some takeout a couple of weeks ago, and I went to back into a spot, a parking spot. As I started to back into the spot, this young teenager comes barreling down the road and zips right in the spot where I was backing into. I mean, I almost hit this person. And of course, it was annoying. But again, I... I truly don't believe that this young driver wanted to challenge me or be annoying. So I, you know, don't get defensive. Don't take it personally. So I went in to get the takeout and this young person was in front of me. And I realized that they're just learning to drive. They made a mistake. It's not personal. They weren't saying, it's my territory and you can't have it. So don't get defensive. Now, before I go on to something unique today, I just wanted to say that today's podcast is being brought to you by my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching pro <laughs> four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. And just take a look at it over on Amazon or my website, selfcoaching.net. Now you'll often hear me say in my podcast that you can reach me at self-coaching help, all one word at aol.com or at the contact section of my website, selfcoaching.net, and ask if you have a question you'd like me to address or some other concerns or themes you'd like me to get into. But last week, I got a, a message that I'd like to respond to. And let, let me first read the question, and then I'm going to give my response. So this person said, can you please address the ways family members can help someone struggling with anxiety and frequent panic attacks? What should we say when a person calls you to tell you about their anxious thoughts and physical symptoms in the moment? Should we try to calm them down? Should we say you're okay? Should we say nothing's wrong? So that's the question. How do we deal with a family member in distress dealing with anxiety? Well, I would say you start out by having them take a nice, slow, deep breath. Because by slowing down the breathing, you see, when we get into the sympathetic nervous system, that's the fight-flight nervous system, we're, we're injecting cortisone and adrenaline into our bloodstream, and we're beginning to hyperventilate and get nervous. So we want to slow things down. And by slowing down the breath, you're actually trying to switch from the sympathetic fight-flight nervous system to your 
digest and rest nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. So you start out by telling them, now take a deep breath, just relax, take a deep breath, be very calming. Then ask them what their concerns are. What are their fears? Let them vent, get some of that out. Let's hear what's on their mind, what's causing the problems. And most anxiety you'll see is future-based. It's the what-ifing. And anxiety and panic is this feeling that you've lost control. So what you want to do is you want to help this person become more present. Help them understand that their distress has to do with what they're worried about, what they fear is going to happen, their inability to handle something. Bring them back to the moment. Let them just take a look around what they see. Nothing in their environment is catastrophic. All these things are projections of insecurity. So take that deep breath, come back to your present moment, and realize the safety in the moment. The anxiety and the catastrophic feelings have to do with some projected future moments, but not the present moment. So get them to come back into the present. Now, next, I would recommend, and I know this sounds a bit self-serving, it's not. Tell them to go to my website, selfcoaching.net, and look at some of the archived podcasts. I, I think it's important for someone to feel that there are steps they can follow to, to really understand the why they're falling prey to anxiety, depression, and to understand that there's techniques that can give them a handle on what they can do. Because one of the things about panic, especially, is that you're feeling totally at, out of control and you feel there's nothing you can do about your, your predicament. But once you start to understand that there's a lot you can do, especially in the lead up to anxiety and, and in panic or depression, it makes you feel less crazy, less out of control. You have a format and you start to apply that format because it's all about developing self-trust. So that person, that family member that calls you up with panic and anxiety, they're also telling you that their self-trust muscle has somewhat atrophied. They're feeling out of control and they can't handle life. So give them a handle. Tell them to go listen to some podcasts. I really truly believe that self-coaching with its more direct program of learning what feeds and what starves a habit is encouraging. I think that that's what uh, is necessary is for someone to feel that there is a path to follow, one that can bring them to a sense of control, a sense of mastery over their lives as opposed to feeling adrift. So recommend that they go look at some of the titles of the podcast and listen to a few podcasts. At least, at the very least, it'll make the experience more grounded and more understandable. And you know what? It, it, it Once anyone understands and, and accepts the fact that anxiety and depression and panic, that these are the end results of habits of insecurity, then, of course, it's a matter of feeling, well, okay, I may know, not know what uh, psychodynamically we think about anxiety or depression, but I do know habits, and all habits can be broken. So it's a sense of empowerment, and that's what can come from understanding the habit nature of anxiety and depression. And finally, what I would say, when you're on that phone, offer encouragement. Very important. You see, 
Until self-trust is established, it's nice to feel supported and that you're not alone. You know, I often think of those, I don't know what they're called, the canoes in Hawaii. They have the outrigger, that pontoon that balances the boat. But when you get that phone call, you're being asked to be that that outrigger, that that pontoon that keeps the boat from tipping. So it's a very valuable thing that you offer. You don't have to have the answer and you don't have to have magic. What you need to do is be there, offer your encouragement. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of letting someone vent a bit too. So I hope that helps. And if you have any questions that you'd like me to address in these podcasts, send them along. And that said, I would like you to visit my website, selfcoaching.net, where you could learn more about my self-coaching philosophy and take a look at some of the other books I've written and maybe mill around a bit, see what you think. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless. And you're not powerless. And you're not obnoxious. And you're not annoying. So remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. And let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight. Follow your heart. This is your way. Life is what you make of it. Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than